Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is a Lip Media Podcast. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording. We pay our respects to the elders past and present and the Aboriginal elders of other communities who may be listening today. Welcome to Gays Revolting, a definitive weekly news source for contemporary gays. We put the G in LGBTQIA+, and we're here to help you be the best G you can be. Show your love by following us on Instagram or Twitter, or join our Facebook group at The Gays Revolting. Support our show and listen to bonus after shows by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash gays revolting pod. Hello, Thomas. Hello, Mikey. <laughs> Mardi Gras is done. Mardi Gras is done. We're back in Melbourne. Yes, we are. We're having fun. It was a lot of fun. I actually really enjoyed Sydney. I had such a good time. It was your first time in Sydney yeah, at all, wasn't very, it? Very, very first time. And it was interesting. Like people are slightly different. <laughs> not Melbourne, but that's okay. Someone, what did that person come up and say to you on the dance floor? Oh, okay. So we were at Universal. Yeah. And me and Luke were dancing around like idiots because no one else was dancing. And the best music was on. Yeah. And I was like living our best lives. And there's like big muscle queen turns around and just like um we don't do that here and I turned around and I was like well I'm from fucking Melbourne so bye <laughs> like I was so shocked but at the same time like oh, whatever you wanker like yeah, get away from off. me yeah but no yeah Sydney but generally yes it. very very yes. fun time yes, lovely to meet so many uh, wonderful people yeah uh, thank you to everyone who came up after the show yeah and had a lovely chat we had an entire fucking football team yeah there. that was the great Hornets, was it the Hornets the, uh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, oh my god I they were amazing say, the next day before Kyle and I like left to get out our flight. We yeah. were walking down the street and we saw them all. Oh, like, bless. walking down the street in their rainbow socks. I was like, oh my God, hey boys. Oh. <laughs> Look at you, so friend good. of the footy team. <laughs> Uh, now we've got a, a couple of interviews in this yes. this episode, which is fun. Uh, we're going to have uh, Alex from the Department of Homo Affairs, mm-hmm. um, which is the group that protested Mardi Gras, the Liberal Party at Mardi yes. Gras. And uh, Luke's also going to be interviewing queer pop artist Dorian Electra. Kyle is away at the moment. Yes, so he'll he's be away back for the next uh, in weeks. South Africa visiting he family, yes. visiting his dad, and he's taken Duncan with him as well, hasn't he? Uh, yeah, which very romantic. Yeah. <laughs> so no, he'll be back in a few weeks' time. But for now. It's just me, Tom and Luke. Yeah. So get yeah. into it. <laughs> now, there's not going to be an after show after this episode. We were actually going to take this week off completely, yes. but then we got these amazing interviews, so we decided to do this episode. That's it. Uh, but our after shows will be back to normal as of next week. Okay. Let's get into it. 
Uh, now, Mardi Gras weekend has just wrapped up, and yes, as yes. any good uh, political event should be, it mm-hmm. uh, wasn't without its controversy. Uh, today, we're joined by Alex, Officer Gentle Intense from the Department of Homo Affairs, a queer activist group based in Sydney. Alex, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me on the show. <laughs> so, at least three protesters from your group were removed from um, the parade on Saturday night after conducting a peaceful protest in front of the Liberal Party float. Firstly, what exactly were you protesting and were any of you actually arrested? Yeah, so the Department of Home Affairs was in the Mardi Gras Mm -hmm. protesting the presence of the Liberal Party float, primarily to bring attention to the Liberal Party's plans to celebrate the 250-year invasion of Captain Cook Mm -hmm. coming into Kamei, Botany Bay something called the Encounters Tour, which they're doing with the Maritime Museum, which I'm sure you've heard of is the um, circumnavigation of Australia yeah. of the yeah, um, Endeavour replica. It blows my mind at someone right? sitting in a marketing department <laughs> thinking that that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. So, so correct me if I'm wrong, but they're literally creating a replica of the Endeavour and then circumnavigating Australia, just to remind everyone. Yeah, so the Endeavour replica exists. Oh, already. it does already. It was built in the 90s. Um, right. It sits at the Maritime Museum in Darling Harbour. Right, As a okay. child, I have memories of going on the ship. School excursions so, and things. School excursions. Right, okay. um, yeah, so it sits there. A lot of tourists get on board and mm-hmm. um, a lot of students, like young students, get on board. So they're planning on, um, yeah, circumnavigating this around Australia mm. to commemorate the 250 years since um, since Cook landed, which, of course, um, is funny because that circumnavigation never happened. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> it seems yeah. like a very good thing to be protesting then. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we, we believe so. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so were any of you arrested? Yeah, so three of us were arrested. Mm-hmm. We were taken through the VIP area and um, detained underneath the um, grandstand there. Mm-hmm. Um, they were particularly heavy-handed with one of us yes. um, who had bruises on their arm. Yeah. Um, so we were charged with obstruction. They, it was quite funny. They didn't really know what, what to, to charge, yeah. charge yeah. us yeah. with. Well, you so essentially just walking down <laughs> the street, huh? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. So yeah. I got obstruction of traffic. Uh-huh. Someone else, um, one of us got um, breaching the peace. Mm -hmm. So we'll give and move on orders. So they detained us for about 10 minutes Mm -hmm. um, and then we had to leave the area. They took our details, so we yeah. might receive fines and sure, yeah. further charges. I am um, sure you'll have several yeah. people put their hand up to help you cover those fines. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah um, but they did let several people continue to march, didn't they? That's right. Yeah, yeah. So for the rest of the parade mm-hmm. going down, it was quite amazing on the footage, which which uh, the Department of Home Affairs got some very good coverage yes. on the SBS yes. uh, flight. <laughs> yeah. You would see the the turn the big sign saying "Turn back the floats," mm-hmm. followed by the Liberal Party float, which yeah. was genius. And the thing that I like about it the most, you know, th- there's people saying, "Oh, you know." That's not what the point of Mardi Gras it is. It's yeah. like, well, actually, no, well, actually, very much the point of Mardi Gras. Is, yeah. But also, the, <laughs> a lot of people have been saying, and I agree with um, the spirit in which it was done, was quite a, a funny, sort of, you know, yeah. humorous sort of way of protesting, mm. which. Mm. Uh, Mardi Gras has a strong history of doing. Yeah, that's right. You know those plate, uh, those images of Fred Nile's head on a plate in the nineties yeah. and that sort of thing. <laughs> it was ve- it's always been very much um, pro- a protest, but as our community does, has a bit of a sense of humour about it, which I thought the Dep- Department of Home Affairs did a very good job of. So well yeah. done. Yeah, with that. thank you. Yeah, it's important to us that what we do is performative. Yeah, it's yeah. camp. 
and it's satirical and it's funny. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and it's fun. Mm. It's fun. It's a good way to get a message out yeah. as well. People are there going, you know, chat about it at work and that sort of thing. Yeah, that's right. At what point were you there from the start of the parade? Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay, wow. So we were there during the marshalling um, yeah. time, which was really fun. That's a really beautiful time. Of yeah. Part of Mardi Gras. I don't know if any of you ever have ever been yeah. in a parade, but seeing all the groups walking around, mm. everyone's excited and buzzing. Everyone's each other's floats. Everyone's and pretty high. Yeah. And, yeah. 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 So it. it was. Um, so we were there from the beginning. Yeah. Mm. And did you sort of notice any like of the attendees like as you were protesting, connecting with the message that you were putting out there? Um, yeah, we had a few funny moments. So we had a few different elements. So there was a mm-hmm. Department of Homo Affairs who yeah. were wearing blue coveralls, which are all blinged up and yeah, gold. Yeah. And um, we think it's very apparent that um, we're a satirical group. Yeah, absolutely. Um, with Department of Homo <laughs> Affairs written on our backs. But um, a lot of people don't get it straight away. Right, okay. So we had a few interactions of people kind of coming up to us as if we were the police. Oh. We had oh. one amazing <laughs> moment where we were sitting down and chatting about what we were doing and this guy kind of like, was walking by and stopped in his tracks and looked mm-hmm. at us and started walking over to us really purposefully and then yeah. did a stop and was like, oh, oh, Department of Homo Affairs? Wait, so you're not the Department of Home Affairs? And we're like, no. no. And he was like, oh, my God, I was about to come over and tell you all to Give fuck off, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And we were just like, oh, no, 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 we're joking. He was like, oh, okay, all right, great. And another interaction we had, which was funny, was – um. Someone came over and was like, oh, my God, I work at the Department of Home Affairs. (gasps) And we were like, oh, okay. And she was like, this is amazing. This is so funny. And I don't think she clocked that (laughs) That it was a joke. We were, you know, subverting um, the Home home Affairs. The the Marshall Place of Mardi Gras is a strange place. But we also had people coming up and being like, love it. Love the outfits. You look amazing. Love what you're doing. Can't wait. And, like, people that maybe had seen us in the protest of yeah. the Mardi Gras two years previously were like, you know. Amazing. Yeah. Great. And did you feel like, I, I mean, watching it, it seemed like there was overwhelming support coming from the audience uh, as you were coming, leading mm. what looked like leading the Liberal Party. Mm. Um, did you feel overwhelming support coming from the audience as well? I personally um, oh, you got was dressed as out. Captain Cook. Oh, yeah, right. So <laughs> I wasn't, yeah. which is good. Yeah. Um, yeah. ScoMo, the officer that was dressed as ScoMo, also wasn't getting support. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. ScoMo was um, going around try- pretending to shake people's hands. Oh, oh yep, amazing. <laughs> so he was getting a lot of resistance, of which course. is right. And yeah. um, there was a bit of yelling at us because it takes a moment, I think, for the penny to drop for a lot of people yes. in the crowd. Yeah. So they see the Department of Home Affairs officers turning something back, Mm -hmm. and then they saw us, the fake liberal, the replica liberal party float. Um, And then so some people start um, clocking on then, and then it's not until they see the the actual liberal party float that it's like, oh, "Oh, it's a protest. Okay, so I, yeah. But we were handing out flyers that had information about what we were doing. So that's really important because people, you see people engage with that. Yeah. And you can just see that, okay. Oh, amazing. I see what's happening, yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah, so so support from the crowd as well. Of yeah. Like, yeah. And do you feel like there's been ongoing support since the – like, have you been getting great feedback and that sort of stuff We've since the We've been getting really great feedback, mm, great. which has been one of the most excellent Good. parts, um, especially getting feedback from First Nations activists mm-hmm. Brilliant. who have been reposting and sending messages of support to say, yes, this is an amazing action and mm-hmm. thank you and great solidarity. 
Um, so that's been especially important, but also messages from the queer community of like, you know, fantastic, yeah. love you guys, love your work, which has been um, really excellent post action. Nice. Mm. Great. Yeah. Now you mentioned just before that you had done a protest before. It was a 2018 uh, at Mardi Gras. You conducted a similar one, which was in solidarity with refugees affected by the coalition's offshore detention policies. Why do you think they decided to make arrests in 2020 when they didn't bother a couple of years ago? I think that partly um, two years ago it was a 40th anniversary, uh-huh. so yep. it was an especially big okay, deal. Yeah. And I think that the police were hyper aware of how bad it would look if they yeah. were arresting queers at Mardi Gras. On the 40th anniversary, of especially. the 40th yeah. anniversary. Yeah. I was surprised that we were arrested. I wasn't mm. expecting to be pulled off because it does look so bad and yeah, it absolutely. has brought a lot of attention, yeah. which is, um, you know, a funny flip side of the stress of getting arrested and mm. being handled in that way mm. um, is that you do get a lot of media attention mm. because the media yeah. loves an arrest. So I was surprised that they did that. I think it was um, we held Taylor Square for a really long time. Yeah. It was like four minutes. It's quite funny Amazing. if you watch the live footage. Yeah. It's pretty awkward. Like, <laughs> the camera doesn't know where to go. Well, the, also, a friend of the podcast, Joel Creasy, was hosting the thing and they were yeah. um, sort of going, oh, well, this oh, is this is okay. cool. I, I yeah. haven't got my notes about this. And like, okay, turn back the flights. And so you guys yeah. got so much airtime on we there. Did. And then did, they sort yeah. of, I think that whoever was producing must have yeah. clocked that it was a protest. And all of a sudden like, they just um, cut to yeah. Zoe Kingsma, <laughs> yeah. who's standing down at, like somewhere else. And yeah. they're like, who have you got with you then, Zoe? And she's like, absolutely um, no one. <laughs> But that, yeah. that's great, you know. That's yeah, what it's it was about. very funny. So I think maybe um, part of the arrest was that we held it for so long, mm. um, and they obviously made a decision. I mean, we were we were starting to move on, yeah. So it was completely unnecessary. Um, we weren't yeah. posing a risk no. to anyone. Yeah. Um, so. As a, as an activist group and as a protester, getting arrested, do you consider that a bit of a success or is it more of a failure? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Mm. Um, I'm very aware as a white Australian not to romanticise mm-hmm. being arrested, mm. like certain. Um, groups do, certain climate groups do. I think it's really important not to, um, yeah, romanticise that. Like, mm-hmm. That's a really good point, actually. Yeah. I thought of that, yeah. Um, we certainly did not plan to get arrested. Mm-hmm. Um, in the moment, it felt like a failure. Mm-hmm. I felt really disappointed mm-hmm. that we'd been pulled out of the parade. Um, afterwards, though, seeing how much media attention that brought mm-hmm. was like, okay, the flip, side of, the yeah. flip side of that happening um, Yeah is that we are getting a lot of attention. There's a lot of heat on the New South Wales police force. Mm-hmm. Um, a, f- a positive coming out of it is that we are now contributing um, to this conversation about mm. whether police should be at Mardi Gras, yeah. um, which is really is great to kind of um, be contributing to that conversation. Mm. Um, so I guess it's a bit of a mix. Maybe in the end it kind of turned into a bit of a positive thing because it brought a lot of attention and... Um, brought up the roots of Mardi Gras and how it began as a violent, very, very violent uh, scene against, mm. against against queer people. Yeah, I guess totally. another, I don't want to call it a silver lining, but another opportune thing that happened with it, mm. with with that happening at Taylor Square was you were right in front of that big VIP grandstand. That's right. And so there was so That's much, it, like yeah. Adam Band posting it and, and yeah. a whole lot of other people sitting in the bandstand were able to film those arrests and post on social media, which I think drew mm. more attention to the mm-hmm. protest, which, you know, strange way is, is a good thing. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of the official photographers are sitting there. In yes, the yeah, yeah, the press and, and yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot of them were taking photos. Some needed a bit of encouragement. To be yeah. Like, Why are you not <laughs> taking photos of this arrest? Come on. Yeah. yeah. This is important That's um, to capture, so... Well, the protests did go a bit viral in part due to the Greens leader, Adam Bant, which you just mentioned, because mm. um, he reposted the video on Twitter, which is amazing. Mm. Did you receive any sort of follow-up from Adam or anyone from his party? Um, 
Not that I have um, been aware of. Okay. Um, I haven't been completely across the social media yeah. um, platforms that we're on. Jenny Leong, another Greens, um, Greens leader, mm-hmm. um, posted a video as well. She was there as well. Um, so we've got some. We've got support from yeah, Adam Bant, Jenny Amazing. Leong, um, in that way. But well done, Adam Bant. Yeah, yeah. Leong thank you. And everyone else that was sharing it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you saw Samuel Leighton Dor, the queer artist. Who did a, a beautiful yes. picture of, of your team member? Yeah, that, yeah I loved yeah. that. That was fantastic. Yeah, that was actually the first yeah. thing I saw about it. Yeah. Oh, was it? Yeah. yeah, I didn't see it until yesterday, and I was really chuffed. Yeah, it was really lovely yeah. to see that. Yeah, beautiful work. <laughs> mm. Mm. Uh, now there was also a separate protest going on at the Mardi Gras uh, by a socialist group called the Socialist Alternative, who were chanting "fuck the ALP" mm. as the Labor float passed by, mm. uh, and of course, federal opposition leader uh, Anthony Albanese then gave them the finger, which he's since talked about on the yeah. news and said he doesn't. Regret it, and also felt that those people shouldn't be chanting against the ALP, and also felt that mm-hmm. you guys should not have been uh, protesting the Liberal Party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what's your take on that? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, I can get behind a message like "fuck the ALP." Yep. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, I mean, our focus is largely on refugee policy, mm-hmm. government policy, um, as well as yeah, working in solidarity with First Nations people. And the ALP does not have an excellent track record. Mm. Yeah. A lot of their refugee policy has been horrendous. Mm-hmm. Um, so I absolutely can get behind um, a message. If we had more people, we'd be protesting the ALP yeah. um, as well. Let's not forget that they don't have a great track record um, in terms of queer rights either. Yeah. Better than the Liberal Party, but they also yeah. you know, right. they're not great yeah. either. So I welcome any kind of critique of political parties in the Mardi Gras. I think it's absolutely the place to have these political conversations. Yeah. Yeah. As far as Albo um, giving the finger to the socialist alternative, I don't know. <laughs> I've, yeah. I'm I mean, sure look, I feel, yeah. th- that's the reaction he had. I was just a bit disappointed to see him then in a press conference sort of backing that up and saying that mm. he didn't think it was the place for it and that he it, it, that, that you guys shouldn't have been doing what you were doing and that sort of stuff. Mm. That was yeah. sort of what disappointed me. I thought yeah. he could have just... It's interesting who thinks that they have a say in what yeah. happens at Mardi Gras. Yes. Totally. Um, we had the police putting out a comment that they were disappointed in our actions, mm. which we felt was a big tick of approval. But yeah. also, <laughs> um, you know, who do you think you are to be dictating what happens yeah. at Mardi Gras? Yeah, this is absolutely. not your place. This is not your parade. So yeah. the Department of Homo Affairs view on police is very much aligned with groups that mm-hmm. are working in this space, particularly pride and protest. Mm-hmm. The police force is an inherently violent institution that should not be welcome in the space of Mardi Gras. I mean, this is contentious. I have spoke to some 78ers mm-hmm. that remember the first time that the police were in the Mardi Gras, and that was a really emotional moment for them because yeah. it felt like a really historical shift. And I guess there's so- also the argument that some people have that more queer people in the police force, yeah. the better the police force is going to be. Yeah, it's an interesting argument. I mean, it's the thing about um, reform or mm-hmm. um, undoing these kind of institutions, right? Mm-hmm. So I would say that from an abolitionist point of view, which I personally have, it doesn't matter how many queers are in the police force because it yeah. is an inherently yeah, right. um, violent um, institution mm-hmm. that, you know, targets um, First Nations people um, and is a force that is harmful to communities. So in that, in that, um, from that perspective, the police should not be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's the same if you're a queer police officer, um, you can march in Mardi Gras in another capacity. Yeah. yeah, sure, yeah. Yeah. And again, from an abolitionist point of view, we should be able to regulate our own spaces mm-hmm. and that we should not be relying on the police. Um, they think they're there to keep us 
safe, which yeah. I absolutely um, disagree with. Mm. We don't need them there. They're not welcome there. Mm-hmm. Um, and for many people, they're um, an extremely triggering and stressful mm. presence yeah. to have um, in a queer space. Like I said, I think that we need to be working towards keeping ourselves safe. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure exactly how that would look. I don't know if that looks like volunteers um, mm-hmm. from the queer community that are trained in de-escalation um, tactics um, and are trained in ways to keep people physically safe. Mm-hmm. I haven't um, experienced, well, I haven't personally experienced any homophobic attacks mm-hmm. at Mardi Gras. No. I think there's um, a critical mass of people that are there to mm. ce- celebrate um, mm. the queer community. So I believe that if there was... Um, any kind of anti-protest or attack that I believe that we would be able to all mm. protect ourselves and to mm. jump into each other's defence. Sure. I think we just need to move away from relying on the police to regulate these spaces um, and also remembering that for many people the police are the ones doing the violence mm. um, and they're made, they're made less safe Mm -hmm. by the presence there. So I think we need to hold those things at the same time and remember that, yes, there is, you know, there's a risk from homophobic attacks for sure, but the police are still a very homophobic institution. They're the the ones that dragged us off, that bruised one of our officers. And to also remember that, you know, who is made less safe by the police presence, and that is often um, Aboriginal people that we need to be really censuring in our... Um, queer communities and celebrations. Um, so what do you think that sort of Mardi Gras is the best place for, I guess, queer people to bring up other political issues and other issues involving, like, Indigenous people and, like... I think going back to the roots of Mardi mm. Gras, it was a radical queer protest. Yeah. Um, so keeping though that spirit alive, um, despite the corporatization and commercialization mm-hmm. that's happening, that has happened... Um, with Mardi Gras is something that's really important. Two years ago in our first action, we had 78ers yelling from the site, like from the crowd, like, yeah, yeah making making Mardi Gras political again. Yeah. yeah. And that felt like a, a beautiful um, bit of support. Absolutely. So for me, keeping that, um, that spirit alive mm-hmm. is a reason to be um, satirical and subversive and playful at Mardi Gras. Yeah. And another, I mean, in terms of First Nations issues or refugee issues, Mm -hmm. um, I think that these are issues that should be very central to the queer community Mm -hmm. for a few reasons. I mean, firstly, there are, um, of course, Aboriginal queer people Mm -hmm. in our cohort. There are queer refugees. There are other, you know, in terms of intersectionality, um, queers are everywhere. Absolutely. So they're very much part of our cohort. Also, as queers living on stolen land, I feel Mm. like it's essential to always kind of have thinking around um, how to work in solidarity with First Nations people and always be, um, you know, being led by Indigenous people, but um, really putting that in the forefront of what we do um, Mm. and our work. So I think that Mardi Gras, I mean, you know, one of the the chants from the 1978 Mardi Gras, Mm. um, as people were getting arrested, was um, stop police attacks on gays, women and black. Gay, mm. Gays, women and blacks, yeah. um, which is a really, you know, it's been there from the beginning, this solidarity yeah. um, between different marginalised groups. So really keeping that spirit alive. And, of course, Mardi Gras is huge. It's a huge yeah. event. So many people go. 
and it's broadcast and a lot of people watch it. Mm, yeah. So um, it's I don't really... think we've got space for a, a Golden Girls float that we have space to have the discussion about <laughs> yeah. conversations <laughs> yeah, with refugees as well. Yeah, That's right. And in particular this year, the theme of Mardi Gras was mm. what matters. Mm-hmm. Um, so protest matters, That's you know, it. resisting celebrations of invasion matter, mm-hmm. um, conversations about who should be in our queer spaces, mm-hmm. you know, that's um, a conversation to have that's, I think, nuanced, but mm. a really good one to contribute to. You, um, uh, sorry, you, me- you mentioned um, corporate sponsorship and, and mm. uh, just in there. What, what are your views on allowing corporate floats to participate in the parade? And do you think that they're taking the place of smaller community groups or are they allowing the parade to happen, which is opening the door for community groups. What's your take on that? My personal take on that is that my queer politics are very much aligned with um, Mm anti-capitalist politics. So I see the corporatisation of of Mardi Gras um, as not completely aligned with um, radical queer politics. Mm -hmm. I don't really understand why people like Qantas, Mm -hmm. ANZ, Netflix... Mm -hmm. All these big companies feel, I mean, they. I, I think they're there because they see it as an amazing marketing opportunity mm-hmm. yeah. and as an advertising um, opportunity. And I understand that a lot of them do have queer employees and... With internal pride networks and yeah. things like that. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And they have policies about supporting queer people. So I understand that. However, I don't think it should be a marketing opportunity. I think it should yeah. be very much community based. Mm-hmm. There are still a lot of community groups in there, mm. which is excellent to see. Um, I think they should be first and foremost. I'd like to, mm-hmm. if if the corporates have to be in the Mardi Gras, which I don't believe they should be, but maybe they should be at the back. Yeah. Um, to really prov- uh, prioritize um, those community groups that mm. are doing. One thing that I I kind of like, which is sort of just starting, and I hope it takes off a bit more if we are Mm. going to continue to have corporate sponsorship, is companies like um, Amy, who, instead of having their own float the last couple of years, have sponsored the Broken Heel Festival. Oh, yeah. The Broken Heel Festival didn't have enough money to bring their own float to Mardi Gras, so Amy sponsored sponsored theirs, and then that allowed them, which I sort of feel like is a bit more of a moral way of doing it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, maybe not putting yourself first and foremost yes, mm. yeah. is good. I mean, it's obviously a shame that um, these community groups need to get corporate yeah. sponsorship. I mean, if you look at footage of the earlier Mardi Gras, you know, fight, not not the original Mardi Gras, but, but as it's evolved, yeah. it's so beautiful to see how kind of loose it is. Mm-hmm, and you yeah. see this beautiful creativity. Police aren't there. Mm, it's yeah. more self-regulated. The crowds are out of the way. But there's just a looseness and a you know people making costumes. There's not these big shiny yeah. corporate yeah. floats, and there's just a, more of a sense of creativity mm-hmm. at a community level that um, is really beautiful. And we can still have that. I mm. mean, it doesn't have to be this huge tourist event. I mean, people can come, but it doesn't have to have all the shininess, all yeah. of the money that goes into these floats. You some you know you hear the argument that well. At the level that we're at now, we need mm-hmm. the corporates mm. to help pay for it. And it's like, well, I mean, we don't really. Well, no. Like, not if it's about it's not... selling 20,000 tickets to yeah. an after party for $250 each. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, sure. That's yeah. So is it of your opinion that the Liberal Party float should be excluded from Mardi Gras? And if so, what do you say to queer liberals or supporters who then end up being excluded based on their conservative views? Mm. Um, the Department of Homo Affairs mm-hmm. very much values inclusivity mm. and having that at the core of the Mardi Gras parade is, you know, is excellent. Yeah. However, we believe that if you're an individual or a group or a party that doesn't have justice at the core of what you do, then you shouldn't really be given a space mm-hmm. at events like Mardi Gras. 
I don't think it's to say that people with conservative views that are queer or gay mm. shouldn't march. Totally. They can march, but not as a representative of the Liberal Party. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to remember that the Liberal Party, firstly, you know, in, in the instance of this um, protest, are planning on celebrating 250 years of invasion yep. yeah. since J- J- James Cook arrived in Botany Bay. They're going to circumnavigate the endeavour, which is going to traumatise First Nations communities around Mm -hmm. the continent. Mm. And I'll mention now that there's amazing resistance happening, which the Department of Home Affairs is very much being led by and working um, to support amazing resistance by First Nations communities around the continent to stop this from happening. So that's one thing that the Liberal Party is doing. Then there's their their horrendous refugee policies, Mm. of course. And then... Let's not forget that two years ago, the Liberal Party put us through the Postal Survey, which was a very traumatic time in the queer community. It was Mm. awful. Um, You know, I don't need to explain, I'm sure, (laughs) how bad that was. We all know how bad that was. Um, And this is also the party that right now is trying to introduce the Religious Discrimination Bill, which will actively harm the queer community, Absolutely, which will harm women and other Mm. marginalised groups. So to have them in the the celebration of Mardi Gras um, just does not seem acceptable to us for these reasons. Do you think it's more of an issue that they marched as the Liberal Party and not as like queer Liberals? Mm. Look, to me, any kind of representation of the Liberal Party is not acceptable. Mm. Mm. And that's also, um, I think, resonates with the crowd. Like, the Liberal yeah. Party gets a lot of booze. Oh, yeah. Um, it is quite jarring seeing them coming down. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And for all those reasons that I just kind of mm. outlined, I'm not saying that pe- queers that have conservative politics can't march, yeah. but march in different floats. Mm. Absolutely. Um, why do you feel the need to bring the Liberal Party, a party that's actively harming marginalised communities, into this mm. celebration? I think being queer does not erase all of the privileges that you have if you're supporting a party like the Liberal Party. Mm. It doesn't get you a free pass into all spaces. Um, and I think it's really important to have these conversations. Um, so your group has obviously come back in a great way in 2020. Um, and I'm sure you guys want to keep up your momentum. So what's sort of next for your group? We're going to have a little period of um, talking about this action mm-hmm. and thinking about what we did well and what we could do better. Um, so we'll regroup and then start planning. I mean, our main activities um, leading up to April mm-hmm. 29 will be um, there's a convergence that's mm-hmm. being planned by um, First Nations communities in Sydney, Botany Bay and, or Kamei, Botany Bay, um, 26th of April until the 6th of May mm-hmm. um, to protest um, the um, you know celebration um, of invasion and genocide. Mm-hmm. So that's called the um, Gwigal Bidjigal Resistance. So really what we're going to be doing as a Department of Homo Affairs is getting the message out there, really getting queers, the queer community, um, to engage with this protest, Mm -hmm. to think about how they're going to support this protest and to really start getting organised. There's... So First Nations organising um, being done by the Redfern Aboriginal Tent Embassy mm-hmm. um, and the Autonomous Collective Against Racism, mm-hmm. which can be found on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, so really supporting their actions. Um, last week there was an action at the Maritime Museum that was organised mm-hmm. by these two groups that was protesting. So that's where the endeavour is yeah. stopped. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So protesting the plan for the circumnavigation mm-hmm. um, and protesting it even being there in Gadigal land. Yeah. So a bunch of us went down to that protest, mm-hmm. um, which very much was um, helped inform 
the Mardi Gras protest as well. So, yeah, really just kind of being led by those groups Mm -hmm. and getting the word out there in our queer community and using the platform that we've now um, been given Mm. from attention from the Mardi Gras protest to really Mm. get to centre those First Nations voices, which Mm. is really important because that's where the focus really um, needs to be. Yeah. And if people want to get to follow the Department of Homo Affairs and keep in touch with what you're all up to and support your future uh, movements, uh, how can they do that? (laughs) Uh, We have an Instagram, um, the Department of Homo Affairs. Mm -hmm. We're on Twitter. Um, We have a Facebook page coming soon. Heaven. Um, We're going to have a communique published on Overland Mm -hmm. um, in the next few days, hopefully. Fantastic. We're often recruiting. um, And we'll be hopefully doing call-outs, wider call-outs for people that want to don a Department of Homo Affairs uniform. Yeah. So, yeah, watch this space. Fantastic. We look forward to seeing a lot more of the department in the future. Uh, Thank you so much. Alex, so much for coming. Thanks so much for coming in. Uh, It's a real treat to have you here so soon after Mardi Gras. We're very lucky to have you. So thank you very much. Great. Thank you all so much. Thanks for having me. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Today we're joined by Dorian Electra, an LA-based queer pop star who Paper Magazine have described as launching a pop war on heteronormativity. Um, Dorian, you're in town performing two live shows, and uh, thank you so much for stopping by our Vespa Repair Studio. <laughs> thank you so today. much for having me. Can't wait to get my Vespa. Well, if I need to break it first, then I can get it repaired here. There's a couple to work on before we start the show, and we can upload that to our Instagram and stuff. But um, yeah, really appreciate you coming in. Um, you've amassed a huge queer cult following around the world, and you're part of this movement. I think of sort of modern pop uh, artists that are doing really deep music with queer aesthetics and some historical context in there as well. Do you see yourself as pushing sort of a queer agenda through your art? Is that how you view what you do? I think that's definitely a part of it. I think like using pop music as a way to get across all kinds of ideas that push the boundaries, whether it be gender, sexuality, politics, aesthetics pop music's a great vehicle for challenging people's ideas because you know you start with something that's so accessible and, and made to be fun and catchy and for for anyone to enjoy you know just on a mm. surface level like a catchy beat a catchy song and then through that you can channel all kinds of new things and then people i think are more open to it because it's already made to be accessible and and um open you know absolutely like we've talked about Hannah Gadsby's comedy show and I think queer artists have been doing this for a while if you 
if you frame something in something in a in a way that people can easily understand it or digest it to begin with, you can kind of sneak in some deeper messaging and and some more complex ideas into that meal like i'll get comments on youtube that will be like from some random person that my video was recommended to them somehow and they'll be like "Ooh, like i don't know if this is a man or a woman or like (laughs) what the hell's going on but the beat slaps or stuff like that (laughs) you know or people that will be like it's like one of the like i see these comments all the time they'll be like at first i was like "Ooh, this is disgusting like who is this person then i was like beat kind of slaps then i'm like wait a second are they hot? Now I'm questioning my sexuality. Like totally. it'll be like it'll be like a serious like I like those comments would be like first I was like this, then I was like this, now I'm like this. I've seen those like so many times on all of my videos that I'm just like this is amazing. Like I can't wait to you know see when I can have my stuff getting out to even more people, you know, and seeing what their yeah. reaction is. This is so fascinating. I think about five of those comments were me because yeah. I went through a very <laughs> complex journey when I saw your first music video. It's like I think I'm a bit turned on by this. Yeah. What? you know I, I i love my favorite thing is watching like drag queen makeup tutorials and reading the comments because you see that journey where they work out about halfway through the video that it's a man or it's like not the gender that they're yeah. like sort of they're presenting you know mm-hmm. and and um you can see the deep emotional turmoil in those youtube comments totally it's, like it's, a- it's crazy that people even comment those things but it's amazing to see like their transformation even just in a comment is, yeah. is nuts yeah a banger of a beat gets people on board with a lot of things definitely yeah that's how i got people to join scientology for ages i just wrote a really really, <laughs> really? good banger yeah yeah, yeah. no I'm joking <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. i thought you were saying i, I thought you're saying that the scientology was using that to get people i was like really i'm really i've, I've watched all, like every scientology documentary i can find i haven't come across that like i need to learn more Imagine also, if they I like, had just like got a- off a zillion hour flight too. I'm like, I'll believe anything at this point. I would join Scientology if you put it on <laughs> <Yeah>. me right <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah, just listen to this song for a little sure, bit. Sure, tell me more. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I also, I watched, I watched your music videos that were more sort of like queer history based. There's a really cool one about vibrators, which is probably not work friendly. Um, but you did that with, is it Refinery? Refinery 29. 29. Um, how important to you with uh, having a platform is it to sort of pass on some sort of history lessons to the the queer community? I, yeah, I think it's so important. I think history is definitely one of my favorite topics, something that even mm. when I'm doing not explicitly educational music now really influences my aesthetics and um, all of my ideas and song topics and stuff. I think it's so under so so important to understand like where we've been and the history of totally. the oppression of queer people and women and trans people and people of color to understand how we can make things better for the future yeah and um i think because we don't have like queer school you know i kind of forget or take it for granted that not everyone has that thirst to go out and look for the knowledge you know and you think well how else are they going to learn about where we've been and and some of the the toughest stuff, but also some of the really interesting stuff, like the history of the vibrator. There were some really totally. weird ones in that video that I saw. Like a, a I didn't understand a rounder sort of one. Yeah, the, oh, the one that looked like a frisbee kind. Yeah, of. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that was is one that... from the fifties that was like this vibrating disc, and it was so interesting because with vibrators, well, it first started out being like a treatment for hysteria. Mm. It was like basically this condition that they would say that women of like a frail constitution it's a very victorian era thing yeah 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 Um, and it was always like upper class women you know like having this like emotional 
turmoil and um and other like just like it could be any symptom of being like dissatisfied in Victorian society if you were a woman uh and then it's they would pers- yeah exactly I mean, if you were overly emotional you know mm-hmm. in this like stoic Victorian period they didn't think about it as an orgasm because they didn't think it was sexual but they would prescribe like this like the doctor would do these like uh circular like quick circular motions on their genital region yeah and yeah until they had this paroxysm i don't know how to pronounce it but anyways, mm. it was an orgasm but they didn't think about it as sexual anyway so that was like how you cured hysteria was basically by making these people orgasm and then they invented vibrators to make it easier and then that kind of got all brushed under the rug when they were like, oh, wait, maybe this is sexual. And so then vibrators were marketed as like something you would put on your face to help maintain circulation Mm. and youth and youthful appearance and get rid of fatigue and and everything. But it was always like with this winking, like we know what you're really using these for kind of thing. And you can look at it and if you read the ads and the marketing from that era, it's so, so fascinating to see. Like it was just an unspoken thing about like women's female sexuality. It was very, very interesting. It's sort of behind a curtain kind of thing, Mm -hmm. but we all wink, wink, nudge, nudge, know about it. Speaking of uh, history and and your own history, you were sort of uh, introduced to queer ideas or or the queer community at a younger age. Um, So your mother actually dated women when you were a teenager. Uh, Did you feel like having an introduction into that world at a younger age meant that... uh, you sort of uh, were more confident when you uh, started to explore your own sexuality. Totally. Yeah, I I feel so lucky to have had exposure to the idea of queerness at such a young age because I feel like I was very lucky and that I didn't have to go through any kind of painful, like, coming out or anything like it always just seemed to me like oh yeah sexuality is kind of fluid you know like Mm. um, that idea was just so normal to me and I think that I didn't have really any of the like internalized homophobia that so many people do and so many of my friends do and stuff and then my parents were also kind of like able to be there for some of my other friends in in high school and stuff like one of my best friends in high school wanted to dress in drag to go to prom and so my mom like lent lent him her bra and helped helped him stuff it like did his makeup (laughs) and all this stuff and you know we were like 17 and cut the pads yeah it was really um it was really cool and um you know, so they've always been supportive of not just like me, but my friends and, and stuff too. That's so amazing. Yeah. I was talking to a friend last night about the the kind of second adolescence that, especially in the gay male community, we have because uh, during our initial adolescence, we're suppressed and, and, and we don't explore our own sexualities until much later in life. And it, it just seems like, yeah, hearing that, it's like so amazing to think, that there are people out there that don't have to have that sort of sheltered adolescence and then a second one when they get older and and can just have a supported family and that they provided that for other queer kids as well is yeah yeah i i feel really lucky and i feel like it's kind of like what i want to do is to in some way like through my art and music be able to provide even just some of that kind of feeling of like being supported you know with who you yeah. are to my my fans and and listeners and stuff because I feel like so much of why I've been able to do what I've been able to do is because I had such a supportive upbringing and I, you know, so many people don't have that. So I feel like it's just something that I want to let them know, like you're okay and you're loved and all of that, you know, Mm. drag can bring families together. Yeah. Paul was right. Yeah. Uh, So you've got a new music video. Yes. Was it last week that Guy Liner yes, came out? Yes, it was on yeah, last Friday. Last mm-hmm. Friday. Um, one of the words was 
this sounds like a grinder profile line is putting <laughs> the mask in mascara. Oh, yeah. mascara. Um, and, you know, a lot of your videos and your aesthetics play with gender. Can you let explain to our listeners a little bit about how masculine tropes uh, inform your identity as an artist and, and, yeah, kind of the ideas behind that with your work? Totally. I mean, since I was a kid, I always had male idols, always looked up to like male rock stars and, mm. you know, all those kinds of things resonated with me personally a lot more than even like Oscar Wilde and, and stuff like that was yeah, like a big, you know, yeah. hero of mine kind of. And th that was kind of who I looked up to. And I always loved the like flamboyant masculinity, like mm. Liberace or even like Austin Powers, even though it's a fictional <laughs> character um, or, you know, like Mick Jagger and, and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I loved flamboyant things, but from like a masculine perspective. And then I also like, you know, I loved, I still love makeup and all of that too. And I love feminine things too, but somehow for me personally, like being able to feel grounded in the idea that I can, I can, I, I can have it all, you know, I don't have to feel restricted to mm. one or the other. I don't have to feel like a fraud for not wanting to be some super butch man all the time or, <laughs> but, you know, or some super like feminine, you know, woman or whatever, you know, that I, I can be, I can kind of put those things together in any combination that makes me feel comfortable. And once I unlock that in my own mind, I think my art really flourished and felt really mm. like free and authentic aesthetically. And yeah, that's kind of my, my journey with that. Like with Guy Liner, it's like, you know, from the perspective of a guy that enjoys wearing makeup yeah and you know to say that like you don't have to be you don't even have to be queer to be you could be a cis het guy and totally. want to wear makeup and that's totally cool and maybe chicks dig it and you know like that's the whole vibe of that it's like you know you don't even have to be the queerness isn't even a factor with that and i think that there's so much like i think there's still so much freedom that needs to be expanded for even like cis het people totally you know and that's a part of like doing away with the patriarchy and and making more options open for all people you know some of them are starting to tiptoe into i've seen a few guys experiment with the nail polish mm -hmm. now cis yeah. guys and you're like you're starting to figure out that this is actually fun and it's another uh i i always used to get really frustrated with the the male standards because i could see my female friends just had more options yeah. in terms of expressing themselves with makeup and colors. Totally. And I was like, I can't coordinate my, like I'm not allowed to coordinate my nails yeah. with my outfit. Like I really want to do that. Yeah. And you do get to an, a point where you go, oh, there's no, no one's actually stopping me from, from doing this. Totally. <laughs> this you but know? It's, it's interesting to think actually for like straight men, like how, you know, much of a hurdle it really is because it's like if you mm. do anything in that realm people are like oh they assume you're gay or they assume that you're hiding something yeah or even people in the queer community will then like if you're an artist they'll come after you being like oh you're appropriating queer aesthetics yeah absolutely. and it's kind of this thing where it's like there's a point to that and there's definitely some validity in that and i think all the sides should be examined but then it's also like aren't we putting people in a box even further and aren't yeah. we like furthering this idea that by stepping outside of these norms that you are automatically gay like isn't that just as oppressive in a way totally you know i think it's just it's really complex issue i think it's it's good to examine it from mm. all perspectives whenever you can and it sticks with people there's this i talk about my best friend a lot jb he's a straight ally and friend of the podcast and the other day we were going to go see a gig and I help him dress. Like I was like, put on this shirt and like we went and got a nice shirt and nice slacks and he dressed up really nice and we did the one over before we were going. 
and he'd put like his dirty old work shoes on. And I said, JB, why aren't you just wearing like the nice boots you have? And he said, oh, I did, but then I looked too nice. So I didn't want it to look like I was trying and I took them off and put my work shoes on. And I went, why are you trying not to look nice? Like, where does that come from? And it turns out in his head, he's like, that would be, people might think I'm gay, like from primary school level conversations as a 33 year old man, it still subconsciously impacts the shoes that he wears. It's like, that's crazy. Yeah. Mm. So that's my JB shout out. No, and that's that's that I think about that all the time. Do you remember the term metrosexual? Oh yeah, back yeah, in the yeah, day, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that was an interesting one, and that kind of to me harkens back to like this, like I think of it as like the two thousand six, two thousand seven. MySpace era Love it. of like with like emo and scene kid and that's mm. kind of what the guyliner music video is <laughs> is like referencing you know where it's like in a lot of ways those people were making major strides um for like cishet guys to like you can be like really hot and in this emo band and be wearing like quote unquote women's jeans from Hot mm. Topic and eyeliner and nail polish and like have your hair dyed and like and and you you know put a ton of hairspray and you like straighten it every day but you're still like this like total hunk you know absolutely and it's like i think that you know even though those kids also got like really made fun of and stuff too but i feel like that was a really important time for in some way expanding the idea of what masculinity can be and look like and mean and that it's an okay thing to care about your appearance i think is that 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 fucks me up all the time when i'm like you actually have trained yourself not to care about your appearance. Like that's the funnest part of getting dressed and like going out. Uh, So yeah, it's a really complicated thing uh, that's starting in at least our local community are these definitions of what drag is and isn't. And, and when I've shown people your music videos or read some of the comments on them, the closest thing people relate it to is, you know, someone doing drag. Mm-hmm. Do you define uh, some of your performance style as and your makeup style as drag, or do you see it as something else? I mean, now I don't, yeah, because I just feel like it's just me, and I feel like that's kind of the more powerful statement, and that feels more authentic to just me in, in general. Now is like it's just me. In the past, though, I used to identify for some period of time as like oh, like a drag king or just a drag performer in that like I like to play with gender and I like to use makeup and costume. But I think that was also when I was really experimenting with my own gender identity. And the drag community was a huge part of that, especially in Chicago where I kind of like went to school and kind of like started out as an artist and stuff there. And um, all of those people and the whole scene were really influential. And that was where I heard people using they, them pronouns for the first time. I was dressing in like like for my Refinery29 music videos and like hyper feminine outfits. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And yeah. feeling like this isn't me. And then and when once I, you know, was like, oh, I'm doing drag. Like I'm dressing <laughs> yeah, as a woman, yeah, yeah. but I'm doing drag, you know? And that was super empowering to think about it like that because it feel, felt like it just gave me more agency over my identity and myself. But then since then, now I feel like when people, I don't like it, you know, I'm, I don't identify as a drag king. I just identify as gender fluid and just like my, me, myself, you know? Yeah. And when people, when I hear people call me drag king, I don't like that idea because I feel like they assume that it means like, oh, I'm a woman dressing as a man. But like yes. to me, it's really not, it's not like that at all. I'm just gender fluid. It's like just my everyday expression is that, is that way. So, um, I think it's great for opening up conversations and for teaching people. And I think like the idea of drag in and of itself is 
like someone dressing as a different gender or something other than their, <laughs> yeah. the one they were assigned at birth, that's already radical enough for most people. And I think it's a really powerful tool. I'm so happy to see drag becoming more and more in the mainstream. It's just yeah. amazing for like our culture and, and everything. And it's opening so many doors. But I think that the kind of the step beyond that in terms of people exploring their gender identity is to just have that fluidity and not be defined yeah. by I am this dressing as this, you know, which is not how mo a lot of people view drag in a way more fluid way than that. But I'm just yeah. talking about like kind of the mainstream interpretation of it, you know. Absolutely. I think it's similar to the heterosexual perspective we were talking about. Sometimes we can be really quick to box drag into like, but it's this way. And uh, spending a bit more time with AFAB queens and, and non-binary performers, I've, I've realized that drag is this, at least to them, yeah, an unnecessary word. They're performing and they're doing their own thing. And, you know, uh, Ruby, who did our, helped with our photo shoot, Ruby Slippers is just Ruby Slippers, you know? I don't, yeah. Uh, and it, it it is just kind of a box if you start to to call certain things just like, oh, it's this type of drag or or... Yeah, I, I like the direction that drag is going into this beautiful, messy, you know, blurry area of, of gender. And, and, and it'll know. take a while for, like, the shows and stuff to catch up to that, you know, because it's, like, it's already, like, like with the exclusion of, like, you know, like, trans women and stuff from the show. Yeah. Like, the mainstream is still just getting adjusted to, to the, <laughs> the initial yeah. idea. And I think, like, gradually it can become more and more progressive and more and more open and more and more fluid. Mm. And other forms of other competing things will pop up as well, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, but I think overall it's it's great that drag's being introduced to the mainstream and opening people's minds. So mm. all kind of possibilities. I want to tell you, I'm a bit of a music nerd and I like watching music trends as well. And so you've just released your first proper quote unquote album, Flamboyant. But there's been a trend of like buzz singles now and, and artists that just release little EPs and things like that. Do you think albums as like an artist still matter or, or do you think in this streaming Spotify world that we just consume music as like individual singles? How do you feel now that Flamboyant's out, I out mean, there? I mean, I feel like releasing the out my album was absolutely huge for me. I think like I think the, the traditional parts of the industry, press and touring still operate very much on the album cycle yeah. i also love the idea of putting together a body of work that is totally. like one, one big body of work that has a theme and has an aesthetic like look at like caroline polachek's yeah. album you know just like like how aesthetically consistent all of that is and it just feels like this big world that she's built that's so fun to like think about mm. and see all the music videos especially because i'm a huge music video person obviously and I, I love them so much and a lot of times i think people treat them as like a throwaway thing or people like you know it's very last minute and there's so many yeah. mediocre or just not good music videos out there um but then that when art when an artist does it right it can be like amazing and just Absolutely. really really help build their whole world and um so to me i still love albums but it's also not right for every artist you know some artists are more about like the bop like just to, like <laughs> you know but but then I, I am also interested in doing more like off the cuff like releases and like e like a little EP. It's kind of fun, you know, yeah. here or there. But then I'm still excited for like my next album and it being mm. this huge thing, you know. So, I yeah. still love that world where. Uh, do you remember when you'd go like buy CD singles and there were like three different parts with the B side, yeah. and then it would sort of like complement the album. And sometimes a remix. Or yeah, something. yeah, I just I used to fucking love that. But the idea of like an album as a a package. You know, and you start at that end yeah. and you, you finish over here. Um, yeah, I, I definitely think it's something that still needs to exist, even with yeah. Spotify, if you're 
pulling stuff out and chucking them. Caroline's on all, Pang is on all of my playlists. That yeah. first song, it's so good. Yeah, it's so good. I think I would get in, in trouble if I didn't bring up Charlie XCX yeah. <laughs> because I mention her in... I, I mentioned JB and Charlie XCX in every episode <laughs> of the <laughs> show. And you were on Pop 2. Uh, you were on Fembot. And I feel around that time there was a really cool movement uh, of artists in the sort of PC music adjacent world really pushing the boundaries of what pop music is. And, and we're still sort of seeing that peter into the mainstream now. Uh, did you feel like a, a kind of pop music camaraderie with Charlie and, and the PC music crew and, and the producers and things like that? Totally. Yeah. I mean, I had always, I've looked up to the, all of those people for mm. a long time. And so it was totally a dream to get to work with them. And yeah, I mean, that that pop too was such a special moment. Like, yeah. I mean, I knew that it was big at the time, but then, and I felt so lucky to be a part of it. But then, like, looking back still, it's just like all the people that Charlie brought together for that. So many, so good many, features. like, iconic people. And it's crazy because I feel like, you know, she's really one of those few people that has such a sense of, like, community building in that way yeah. and, and lifting up other artists. Like, I was like nobody, you know, like, I didn't, I mean, I barely had any music out and stuff but like you know being able to have to be a part of that and then to be able to like we did all these after parties that were called fembot fantasy like in yeah, the US yeah. and like you know being able to like just continue that on we brought on like local drag queens and local pop backs like in all these different cities That's in the so US good. yeah it was just amazing and it just felt like it really kept this this vibe going and especially in a very very queer vibe too mm. which is so cool like i mean charlie is one of the best allies in music that yeah. like the queer community and queer artists have that, especially because when so many artists actually, you know, take from like the queer aesthetic and stuff to have an artist that actually uplifts other queer artists in such a huge yes. way is so important. And the music is obviously just so incredible and boundary yeah. pushing. And then everyone wants to like after she put out her mixtapes, it was like everybody was like, I'm doing a mixtape. I'm doing totally. a mixtape. Like, yeah. Obviously, that's something that's from like the rap world and stuff, too. Yeah. But in terms of like a pop context, it was like she's just such, such a trendsetter, you know? Yeah. And and I think the spotlight that it threw onto other artists, you're right, in the queer community, like Pablo Vittar. Mm-hmm. Uh, Even Kim uh, Petrus, the boost that yeah. was. It was really cool. Yeah, and Pablo uh, Vittar, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it didn't feel like that appropriating or like. Oh, no, not uh, at all. Get the pink dollar kind of thing. It just no. felt like. These are the people that are making sick music and you are introduced to their music and Alma and things like that yeah. through the, po- the the mixtapes and her playlists on Spotify. And um, yeah, it would have been amazing to be a part of that. Yeah. Do you support her on tour as well? I, yeah, this past yeah. fall, I supported her all across Europe and then um, in the US and stuff too. Fuck yeah. 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 That was really fun. It was really like on the tour bus together. It was really fun. Thank you again so much for coming in to chat with us. I, I really have enjoyed getting to pick your brain a bit today um where can our listeners find your your work where's the best place for them to check you they out they can check me out on instagram at dorian electra it's d-o-r-i-a-n-e-l-e-c-t-r-a i got twitter i'm even on tiktok now uh, i'm even trying to do that life, my friend yeah spotify app music all that good stuff amazing yeah. thank you again yeah thank you so much it's so fun talking to you yeah cheers
Well, that's a wrap for today. Yes, fascinating interviews. Very, very lucky to have uh, both those people on the show. Uh, Now, of course, if you want to get in touch with us, you can follow us on all our Instas, at Gaze Revolting Pod, uh, Twitter's Gaze Revolting. Just Google Google it. You'll work it out. You'll find us. (laughs) Hey, Mikey. Hey. I love you. I love you, too. Bye. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier, all built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.